This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. We're going to have a couple of special guests now. I don't want to give up their names. Uh, 920? Okay. Hannah Brown, who just is the co-winner of the Special Forces series, which was fantastic. And I don't just say that because it's on Fox. I loved it. Uh, Allison, when's the last time I told you I liked a series on regular television? I mean, besides sports, I'm not watching. Your regular television, absolutely not. Maybe a streaming show, but not. Uh, nonstop. Not I, I, I mean, I watched it on stream and I watched it live. But last night was a finale. Hannah Brown, a bachelorette, beat out Danny Amendola, Dwight Howard, Scaramucci, Mike Piazza, uh, and ends up winning it. So she's going to tell us what that situation was like. And then Griff Jenkins is going to be joining us, too. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. Do you think that it was objectively reasonable and they followed your guidelines in sending 20 to 30 armed agents to terrorize these people? Yes or no? The facts I have, which are those presented by the FBI, are not consistent with your description. So you think it was reasonable? Absolute mess. I have so little respect for Attorney General Garland, even less today. Justice denied, and dare I say deceived, as J.G. Garland bobs and weaves his way through questioning in the Mar-a-Lago raid, Hunter's famed laptop, high-profile arrest for no good reason, school board scare tactics, and more. We will bring you the riveting exchanges. Number two. For the short term, uh, you know, this is no no problem, should not be a problem. Uh, if that persists for year after year and people continue to breathe that, yes, it would in fact be a problem. Uh, that is Mike DeWine, who I just talked to on Fox & Friends, governor of Ohio. To his credit, he's shown up, but there's so many questions. The toxic train investigation and, clean, and, and cleaning debacle continues as an independent study of air and water quality disputes the old clear signals for now from the federal government as the frustration in this working class Ohio town grows. Number one. First of all, I would appreciate if you stop calling it an overdose. It's a poisoning and it's a war against our kids. So stop with the overdosing. That's part of the problem. The American public thinks it's a substance that, that time people want to take. I yield back. Uh, there you go. Uh, that is Derek Maltz. You've talked to him before. You've heard him before. DEA Special Operations Director. I've interviewed him many times. He's so passionate and knowledgeable of fentanyl. Two broken borders, south and north. A true national security disaster gets worse in America, and you can blame almost all of it on this administration, who refuses to even acknowledge this disaster. There's something about fentanyl. Fentanyl, we know, is this. Uh, it laces. No one says, I need fentanyl. Fentanyl goes into things. It's uh, mislabeled in things. It is laced with things. And when you get it, a lot of times you die. You basically suffocate in your own body immediately. So a lot of people think it themselves, well, if you take pills that you order through the mail or that you get from a friend, 
that's what you get. You get what you get. Like, for example, if you're an alcoholic, you don't stop drinking, you die of liver disease. You really did that to yourself. Even though you might have a heart for addicts, you might say, well, you decided to take heroin. How did you think it was going to end? Fentanyl is different and it's more lethal. It's 50 times more lethal than heroin. It could kill. And there's enough that passed through our border to wipe out our entire country. And why people don't use that as an excuse, politicians, to crack down on both borders, I don't get it. Because northern border uh, illegal passages are up 580%. And guess what? So are drug apprehensions. So they brought in experts to duel and speak about the problems at the border. And listen to how Derek Maltz, in some cases, was received. For example, with Steve Cohen of Tennessee, Democrat, no joke, cut three. Sir, first of all, I apologize for yelling and screaming, but you know what? I've been dealing with the families for many years, and there's no action going on in this town. So I will tell you this. I will tell you. Let me me answer the question. First of all, I would appreciate if you stop calling it an overdose. It's a poisoning, and it's a war against our kids. So stop with the overdosing. That's part of the problem. The American public thinks it's a substance that people want to take. I yield back. So this guy doesn't want to hear it. Why is it a partisan issue? Fentanyl is a partisan issue. Derek Maltz it speaks like every New York detective, FBI man or woman, New York accent, tough as nails. Objective is to keep people safe and stop people from dying. And you have to ask yourself, if you saw countless families suffer this instant loss from one ill-timed decision to take Adderall to study more or to take Ritalin to focus, I'm not saying you should ever take it. But when you have ADD, you actually get it prescribed. Here's a little of the exchange with Merrick Garland and Senator Lindsey Graham. It's more civil but substantive. Cut one. How would you describe the fentanyl problem in America? It's a horrible epidemic, okay. uh, but it's an epidemic that's been unleashed on purpose by the Sinaloa um, and the new generation of Jalisco cartels. Okay. Let's just stop and absorb that for a moment. It's a horrible epidemic. It kills more people than car wrecks and gun violence combined. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? I think we have, we have more than enough um, ability now to uh, attack this problem. Well, would you agree with me? Whatever we have is not working. Well, I, Whatever I, we're doing is not working. I, I agree with that because of the number of deaths yeah, that you so, pointed out. So, so the- just keep an open mind that what we got on the books is not working. Yeah, and, and try to do something about it. That would be key. And um, the attorney general, too, there's a report out today in The Washington Post that the FBI, who I said to myself, as soon as they said to the FBI, go raid Mar-a-Lago, were they like thinking to themselves, really, you want me to go raid Mar-a-Lago? Have you heard about the Russia hoax? Do you know the distrust right now between almost every Republican, Donald Trump supporter on down? Now you want me to go raid a former president's compound because of ongoing investigations aren't going fast enough? And two FBI agents in particular said, I don't think we should do it. In fact, I think we should stop with the investigation in June. They raided. Anyway, the FBI taking the hit for an attorney general's office uh, that is totally politicized, in my view. one 408 7669 A little bit more on some of the heated exchanges and some of the things. Some of the other issues when it comes to the problem with... The school debate on school boards, it's getting fiery. All of a sudden, the letter goes out for the FBI to get involved to find out if there's violence there. And you saw Senator Kennedy exchange on that. When it comes to the Hunter Biden laptop, why isn't there any progress? He doesn't give any answers on that. So in terms of what this is going to be, the border is going to be an issue. 
fentanyl is going to be an issue. I believe school boards are going to be an issue. And guess who's in the center of all of it? A guy that was supposed to be in the Supreme Court or get his hearing, but Mitch McConnell held it back. Wow, am I happier than ever that he did do just that because we would have been saddled with this, this, uh, this left-wing agenda at the highest court. So when we come back, we're going to talk a little special forces about the men and women, by the way, who are not signing up to fight anymore. They're not going into the military. When you see this series, you might say to yourself, it might be too tough for me, too hard for me. But, man, from Hannah Brown, who made it all the way through, she'll probably talk about how rewarding it is. Then we'll welcome in Griff. We'll talk more about uh, the border. You'll listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. A special privilege for me anyway. Uh, Hannah Brown's here, and uh, Hannah has, along with Carly Lloyd, won the first season, American season, of Special Forces. Here's a little. Now, uh, Hannah, say hello first. Hi, everyone. You know her from The Bachelorette, and you've been a a public figure for a while. You go into this with how many people? Sixteen Sixteen people. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the end, there's two. And just because you failed at an event, this is what I love about this, you're not out. You got to try. You you just got to try. You're out when you quit, right? Yes, which I was really, I remember when the show was pitched to me, I was like, oh, so I just don't have to, I just don't quit. And they're like, yeah. I was like, oh, well, I'll be there the whole time. <laughs> and they're like, we have never heard anybody be like, like, be like, oh, that's, that's it. Like for me, I just, I don't like to quit, give up. Cause I'm always like, what if, what about that next thing? What if that next thing I really prove myself, um, Right. wrong that I can make it. So uh, it, it's definitely a different concept. There's no voting out. I think that's really cool. Um, but when it says try, it means you better try your hardest because they know how they can. They know that if you're trying your absolute hardest or you're just kind of like half trying. Right. And they'll try to push out. Oh, for idea. sure. Yeah. They're, they're like, you want you want us to take your armband? Are you done? You're done, right? Like they'll get in your and, head. And when you take the armband out, you're done. You you're wear done. a black armband. Yes. So guys, if you and listen, you can get it streaming now. It's on Fox Broadcast, but I got it streaming on Prime Video, so I caught up quick. But I missed the last episode. Collie Lloyd and Hannah uh, both win. Yes. Uh, beating Dwight Howard and Danny Amendola. So, uh, in fact, what, what a clip did you pull, Allison? 
This is from, this is the moment, yeah, this is the moment you won, the clip that okay. we played on, on TV. So let's listen, so let's listen together, should we? This is crap. Absolute bull! You're lying to us! Or not. I know for a fact you are! Do you want me to keep going at you? Or do you want me to go at you? Do you want some as well? I know it's absolute crap! You're lying! What's the water? Is that water? They threw water on us. Yes, yeah, so this was a part of the interrogation. Um, which is the last episode. Which is the last episode. It, it lasts 12 hours. And that was probably like our, like, I actually have no idea. Because you, like, when you're, all your senses are taken away from you when they're holding us. Um, one of the parts is we're, have the bag over our face, goggles. Um, they put, like, headphones on that are, um these horrible noises you have to listen to for literally like eight hours. Scre- was stress. it screaming? Uh, women screaming, babies crying, metal being scraped, um, like an animal. I thought it was like an animal <laughs> eating something. Um, it was hor- it was horrible. A pig squealing for hours. And you just and they, their goal is to well, you could say rip off the headset. Like, that's it. I lose. Well, I, that's I, I how Danny. My- that's how Danny. Like he's like I can't take it anymore. Like Danny wide receiver on the well, Danny New passed every single physical uh, task that amazing. we had, and he was amazing. Like he looked like he was a part of the directing staff, and I love him. I think he's the best. But we had no idea like who was at the end because they like you're so isolated. Even though we're standing right beside each other, we have no idea because we're you know blindfolded and all our senses are gone. And when I found out that he tapped, I couldn't believe it because he's like been so strong, but I think he had already like his shoulder was really hurt his hips. Cause you had to sit like crisscross um, sometimes. And then like your feet like pointed up straight. And he was like, my hips couldn't take it anymore. Like, like sitting like that for so long. Um, and then with the sounds, he's like, it's awful. And it truly, that's the thing that's so frustrating. Like that's that part of the show. Like when you watch it, you're like, "Oh, okay." Like doesn't look that bad, but it was truly horrible. Right, ten I days. Would, I would take all the physical task doing those again, then do that uh, twelve hour interrogation again. That's how bad it was. And then yeah, after after right. ten days of being like getting your butt kicked. How, how different is that than The Bachelorette? I mean, they have reality shows that pride themselves on not being reality. This was reality. You all slept in the same tent? Yes. Uh, so that's... You the, never showered? or you? Do, oh, it was like a like drip drops of, of water coming out of a spigot. Were you like, I'm going to fire my agent? And it, no. <laughs> whoever told me to do this? They told me it was going to be tough. Um, but I didn't know, like, how tough. And they said, like, you know, be prepared for it to be Did bad. you train? I trained a little bit, like I did a little like strength training, but I, I didn't have that much time. Like I think the show before I like for sure said yes, like maybe a month or something. So like, there's only so much I could do in that amount of time. Um, I got a little bit stronger, but I just knew I had to do my personal best. Like I could not compare myself to Danny or Dwight Howard. Like I I I can't, this guy is uh, seven foot. But NBA all-star, uh, Dwight Howard, just fresh off the Lakers, mm-hmm. and he comes in and is competing, 
And then you have Coley Lloyd, I think the best women's soccer player ever, who does great in the clutch, a natural leader. And you two are the le- one, two left standing. I know. I'm so, like, I keep saying, like, I'm so honored to be, that I just got to be in that group of legends and people who are just the best of the best in their sports and just in whatever career that they're in. Um, but Carly, like, I'm just so impressed by her and I'm, I was so glad to be able to connect with her and like bond with her over this experience because like she's legit a legend. Like, right. You know, you have to read her book. You would love her book. I, I will have to. She was always good uh, and very good for the average person. But can she ever make the national team what it took? And then she became the best on the national team, in my view, and then scored three, three goals to win the champion. It's unbelievable what she did. Here's the final moments. Let's we have assessed you physically, mentally and emotionally. Do you possess the grit, the determination, and the toughness to be by our side? Congratulations. <laughs> You've just passed our course. And that's it. Right? That was you it. And, and, and your, your thoughts as he said that? I was just so glad it was over <laughs> and thankful that I had passed the course. Because when you go through that interrogation, you can pass the interrogation. But you don't know if you're going to pass the whole like 10 day course. And I was just so excited because I had failed a few of the tasks before. So I was like, is that going to be enough? And that we both, you know, it got the, you know, approval from the directing staff and just those kind words. It was so great because we weren't getting many kind words throughout the process. It was screaming in your face. Yeah, screaming. Yeah. And then they got mad at you because you smile when you are in distress. Smiled. Yeah. I was, I remember like I started smiling when they said that we passed and I was like, I hope this is the time I can smile. Surely. (laughs) So, um, so you, just a little about you, Hannah, uh, you were crowned Miss Alabama, Miss Alabama USA in 2018 and competed in the Miss USA in 2018. How did you get involved with the bachelorette? Um, yeah, it was, uh, it's because I was Miss Alabama. Um, I did pageants growing up and finally won that. And a videographer that did some like video for me for Miss USA, we were going all around Alabama getting like the coverage. And I think she asked me about my dating life and I just like told, told her about it. I never watched the bachelorette. I get this random call and Come to find out, I didn't know at the time, but this videographer uh, put in my application, like uh, anonymously put me in, and then they called me. And I was like, this has to be a joke. Because I just talked to my friends about, like, how single I was. Because in the South, everybody How single you are? Yeah, I was like, I'm so single. Um, And... It was, we, I just got back from them and I was like, did y'all just sign me up for the bachelor? Like, first of all, how would we have time? Like that was like an hour ago. So I had no idea, but I and finally found out. Yeah. And then it took me on this crazy journey. And, and now the, you want to pursue TV, radio, you yeah, like broadcasting, right? I really do. I mean, I kind of found that I'm naturally can kind of be myself on camera. I think the imposter syndrome starts coming up that I'm like, oh, can I really do this? But as long as I, like, stay myself and it's it's fun for me and right. I enjoy it. So I'm excited to see where life takes me. You passed my audition. I'll tell you that. Thank uh, you. <laughs> that, I think you're great. Uh, congratulations, Hannah. Unbelievable toughness and grit. And you got to watch the season. Stream it if you can on Special Forces. So glad you did. I think it's a great commercial, too, for our military. I 
Absolutely. Hannah, thanks so much. Thank you. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Isn't she amazing? <laughs> Oof. I was the reason she was, she was very specific. I shouldn't digress probably. She was, I've read. She, she was very specific recently saying that a mom, a poor mother who lost two kids to fentanyl, that, that I killed her sons. Well, the interesting thing is that fentanyl they took came during the last administration. <laughs> Look, folks. Anyway, I don't want to get started. Um, laughing about Marjorie Taylor Greene accusing President Biden of killing people because of fentanyl. And then laughing. No, totally inappropriate to bring it up and then laugh after. No more. Mar- Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene accusing the president of killing people of fentanyl is... Ridiculous. It's ridiculous as a comment where we're having a national divorce. But why the president doesn't understand instinctively that fentanyl is not something you kid around about. It just equals death. I don't have to explain that to Griff Jenkins, fresh off doing Fox and Friends, who spent more time on the border than I would say anybody else in the country. I mean, I'm talking about deep from the travel to the actual border itself. And now we've got a northern border problem. Hey, Griff, the only way you laugh like that is if you don't understand the magnitude of fentanyl and the role it plays coming across our border. That's spot on. And by the way, I can't believe I've got to follow Hannah Brown. Oh, I know. How but- impressive was she? And you're kind. Uh, she's done all those amazing things. Although I have had the fortune to cover the border going back to 2019 when I did 7,000 miles of the caravan. But the the crisis now at this border, unprecedented, as we all know, is the the fact that every state has become the border that you hear that a lot out of the politicians particularly republicans mouths but it's right because of the fentanyl deaths and you know for president biden to laugh and not understand the significance that the fentanyl crisis has only quadrupled under his watch with their administration's policies is beyond me. But I do think what's also fascinating was when I was watching that hearing, because that mother was so captivating, Brian, there was another panelist from Cato that was talking about, well, the fentanyl problem isn't a border problem. It's a addict problem. You got to deal with the addicts. And why is mother, that not true? That mother turned to him and said, are you kidding me right now? Those were her words to the Cato guy, because there's this absurd debate happening. And I don't know whether President Biden in the administration is 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 buying into that argument, but this is an irrefutable fact. And fortunately, the Border Patrol chiefs all across the country are posting bundle upon bundle of fentanyl that's seized both at the ports and in between the ports of entry. And until we get on the same page, bipartisan condemnation of this crisis, right. you're going to see more grieving mothers. So my thing is political fallout. So if you cracked out on the border for some reason, according to Henry Cuellar, he said that the president told him basically they were told that the administration, the left wing, these left wing immigration groups have gotten in the president's ear. And he thinks more about that than he does stealing our border on our national security. Hopefully he comes around to that. I don't think he has. You can answer this. 
But when it comes to fentanyl in particular, that's the president's out. Let's say he's worried about these groups and political fallout because of his Democratic leadership. Hey, guys, sorry, new, new, there's a new uh, rules because fentanyl is killing people in Vermont, Massachusetts, New York, Alabama, everywhere, not just to the border. I'm going to crack down and the Hispanic community will not alienate us because they'll know I'm just coming out for suburban families. Obviously, that would be his cover. But he chooses not to take that cover. And I can't figure out why. You know, Brian, let me break a little news here with you. And that is I have seen the internal numbers of migrant encounters for February. Today, now March 2nd. I understand the administration is very soon, perhaps as early as today or tomorrow, will come out and say that number is about 155,000. It fluctuates sometimes, one or 2,000, but the number is going to be close to 155,000 for the month of February. Now, we had January numbers, which the administration took a victory lap. It was 156,000. That's down 100,000 from that 250. It's still terrible. But the chiefs, a chief yesterday, a Border Patrol chief that I'm not going to name, uh, was on a text chain with me yesterday saying he's worried that the administration's going to focus on spinning the lower numbers as a success story in two consecutive months of lower numbers, which, by the way, are traditionally lowered this time of year anyway because of the weather, that they're going to focus on that, take this victory lap, and not address the bigger problems, which are fentanyl. Fentanyl deaths are not down. They're not down 100,000. They're only up more. And the real problems of this border are the national security implications with the hundreds of thousands of gotaways that we don't know where they're from, Iran, Yemen, Syria, uh, Russia, a lot of Russians, Chinese coming, and the fentanyl. And if they take this victory lap and we see this coming, you and I are going to talk again about this because it is simply missing the point of the crisis they find themselves put in that they created themselves. So listen to this colonel in, in, in the military, just retired. He just talked. He says, I know you're going to be talking about immigration. He says, I'm returning from California and flying through Reagan Air, uh, the Reagan National. A guy was trying to communicate with me about the gate. I used Google Translate, and it turns out he's from Albania, entered California from Mexico, given phone, paperwork, plane ticket to Michigan. He says, this is really unbelievable. So think about this. Now, stop me if I'm wrong here. Their numbers are down because those people physically walking, but they're told to apply for parole in the country they're in or the country they cross into. At which time, if they qualify, they're flown in. Are those people counted or are they are we just lifting them in the sky as opposed to walking them on the ground? Boom. Put your finger on it. Right. So I was just a month ago, if even less than three weeks ago in Reynosa, Mexico. Because everybody was talking about the CBP-1 app, right? The migrants now can do exactly what that Albanian man did. And we're learning, wow, what the administration wants to do is have them do it, quote, legally to get legal parole before they cross. That way they're not counted as a migrant encounter for crossing illegally on foot, right? So I said, I got my camera guy, Ed Solis. He said, let's go, man. Called Fox, said, I'm going. I'll be back in a couple hours. I don't need security. Just let me go to this one shelter. I've known this pastor that's run this thing for 20 years. I go right in there. What have I got? Immediately, 150 migrants, giant posters. It's a CBP-1 app, 150 migrants with their bags being put on a bus driven from the shelter two miles straight to the port of entry where they've been accepted on the CBP-1 app to legally enter and then we'll get parole and phones and God knows what else. And so this is where they're trying to send it. This is how they're trying to get the numbers down. But you're still bringing them into the U.S. and they're not they're not detained. They're just paroled to 
wait and see if their amnesty plays out. Right, and it's going to take years uh, for them to get their hearing and their case looked at. So are there parole numbers? Well, so there's no legal binding uh uh, consequence, if you're given legal parole, say you're from Albania, you come across CBP-1 app, they approve you, you apply for asylum, there's no consequence of just not showing up, not claiming asylum, and just disappearing into the dark. Unless you're arrested on a later crime, then they could deport you for that. But there's no nothing stopping you to just say, thanks, welcome to America, and disappear into the shadows, other than the fact that uh, if you then try and come back, you know, they're not going to let you get a second crack at it. Well, by the way, just to, to round it out for practical purposes, so I get that firsthand view, an Albanian asking for directions in Washington, uh, coming en route to Michigan from California. How about the fact that I'm in Jacksonville Airport flying out two days ago, and a woman, my flight is delayed as usual because we're not too good at air travel anymore. So she says, I just want to tell you, you're going to be delayed two and a half hours. I just want to point something out. You see those people behind you. And I looked down, and there was probably 30 people behind me, all illegal immigrants, dropped into Jacksonville Airport, all getting other tickets to go elsewhere. She goes, this is every day, and these numbers are light. Jacksonville is one of the places they greenlighted as a place, a hub, because it's so close to Georgia, perhaps. I'm not sure. Just like they might do, they might do it in Westchester, New York, and other places where they drop them into the small airports and they get them out. Right. So the administration early on realized, hey, Fox News has a camera and drones at the border 24-7 and reporters like myself, Malusian, Matt Finn, others. So the administration's theory was let's increase internal relocation. And even today, when I was just flying out of McAllen three weeks ago, that airport and this is on the border airport, is absolutely mobbed. flood mobbed with people holding a sign. I've seen it. It's got your, you know, your name, a little folder here. It got the paperwork. And, you know, many times they've asked me for help, and I've tried to give them help. I, I did Google Translate as well, like that gentleman said, with the Russian guy. A lot of Russians right now coming. And, you know, that is what they've I gotten. saw that, a lot of Russians, right, and Ukrainians. Yeah, a lot of Russians and Ukrainians. Funny, the guy running that shelter, by the way, he said, let me just show you. I got Russians and Ukrainians. They don't speak any English, and they don't speak Spanish either. So I stuck them together to see if they kill each other. They're getting along very fine, and they figured out the CBP-1 app. But when I did a story for a special report that night about going over there, the individuals that I Google translated with was from Kyrgyzstan. How many Kyrgyzstan illegal immigrants do you think we have? Word is out around the world. This is the time to come to America. So I want you to hear, for those of you who want to judge people that take fentanyl, yeah, don't take an illegal drug. Don't take a pill that you order online. Guy comes up to you in the street in, in Mexico and says, I, I got uh, whatever it is, uh, whether it's uh, Adderall or whether it's Percocet. I got a little pain for painkillers. I know you think to yourself, I, I would never do that, but maybe your kids will. Maybe your neighbor will. Or maybe they're just coming off a knee replacement and they're traveling and they say, I can just get this off the street. Listen to Dr. Tim Westlake, if that happens to have fentanyl in it. He's an emergency room doctor. His exchanges with Congressman Tom Tiffany, cut eight. You're an emergency room doctor. What does death look like from fentanyl? Right. So opioids just cause respiratory suppression, so it just people just stop breathing, and then they pass out, and then they turn blue, and then they die, if, if not resuscitated. So it's almost like they're being smothered? Or, or right, or the same the same thing with, with an execution. This, it's, it's, it can be the same thing as a chemical execution. 
Think about that. Yeah. This isn't prolonged heroin use. You're not an no. alcoholic no. who rotted your liver away. Yeah, the, 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 the grieving mother that testified. I mean, her testimony, if, if you're listening to Brian and I talk and you haven't watched it, Google the testimony. It is I'll play absolutely lays bare. But she talked about one of her two sons died because he took one Percocet that he bought on social media on Snapchat. He was in an argument with his girlfriend, feeling down, took a Percocet, thinking it was going to help him. And he never started breathing again shortly after he took it. All right. Uh, Griff is going to stick around for a couple more minutes. I also want to get his take on the report in the Washington Post today that the FBI pushed back when they were told by the prosecutors to go into Mar-a-Lago. They said, we got to think about this. You want to think about this. You don't want to do this. And it's been a super, supercharged political story ever since. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Our kids are at risk. Every single kid is at risk. And even if if there's kids that we're not seeing, some kids are not dying, but they're dealing with addiction issues as well, very young, because these cartels, these pills, are they're being made to drive addiction. That's what they want. They want these kids to be addicted. It's a business. So that is uh, a calm, uh, a mom who lost her son, uh, talking about this on Capitol Hill yesterday. Everybody's kids are at risk. Uh, with me right now is Griff Jenkins. She's finishing us out. So I could not have been more disappointed with Merrick Garland. Now, I know some, you know, Ted Cruz will always be standoffish looking to, uh, and Senator Josh Hawley, too, looking to make sure that their questions are headlines. But they're very direct. If I'm the Attorney General Merrick Garland, I got nothing to hide. I can't wait for these questions. I get my side out of the story. But he did not want to answer uh, anything of substance. I don't know if you picked that up or not. Here's a little of his exchange uh, with Ted Cruz. Cut 15. In the wake of the leak of the Dobbs decision, when rioters descended at the homes of six Supreme Court justices, night after night after night, you did nothing. When extremist groups like Ruth Senos and Jane's Revenge openly organized campaigns of harassment at the homes of justices, you sat on your hands. When these same groups posted online information about where the justices worship or their home addresses or where their kids went to school, you again sat on your hands and did nothing. Has the Department of Justice brought even a single case under this statute? It's a yes, no question. The job of the United States Marshals is to defend the lives of the... So the answer is no. ...is to defend the lives of the justices, and that's their number one priority. They have... Why are you unwilling to say no? The answer is no. You know it's no. I know it's no. Everyone in this this hearing room knows it's no. Greg, this happened right around you. This is where the justices live. Do you think that he did everything possible to keep them safe? No. I mean, Senator Cruz's point is, is... Important not only because of the immediate uh, practical application of protecting justices, and let's not kid ourselves here. These are conservative justices that were under the greatest threat. Because of the overturn of Roe v. Wade that leaked out early. Correct. But then you step back. Our country, the bedrock of our nation— this 200-plus year experiment, which is the you know diamond of the world, is the rule of law. And the Supreme Court was delving into Roe v. Wade, which clearly is a politicized issue. But to then allow 
for Merrick Garland not to do more. And as Ted Cruz points out, charge and send the message you can't do this in the future. You would allow our court to be intimidated by protesters like that. You have to absolutely unequivocally put your foot down and say this will not be tolerated because our one true justice's blind uh, side of our government here uh, is is under under threat. And, and Cruz, I think, was right in trying to force him to admit that there were no prosecutions afterwards. They said they had 50 marshals out there. Uh, that was not enough. And Buzz, you speak at and you say, ratchet it down, get away from their houses. We had a guy there who was going to do an assassination attempt. And you know what happens. If you kill a justice, the nation mourns. And then the Democrats get a chance to put a Democrat in there. So little by little, they would get their objective. And some crazy person might say to themselves, this is my opportunity. That was the fear. And sadly, a lot of the deranged minds thought so. Uh, So Garland was also uh, asked about the Mar-a-Lago raid. He said, I did what was necessary. That was typical protocol. That was done in the local FBI bureau. But the Washington Post today said there was a showdown before the raid with FBI agents and prosecutors arguing over Trump. They say two senior FBI officials who would be in charge of leading the search resisted the plan as too combative and proposed instead to seek Trump's permission to search his property. Guess who won? The prosecutors. Guess what happened? A armed raid of Mar-a-Lago, the resort in the middle of Florida. You knew what the optics were going to be. You knew how the country, half of the country, would react. You knew what the headlines would be following that sort of thing, and yet you allowed it to happen. But, you know, it's interesting, Brian, when I was filling in for Steve and got to anchor Fox and Friends with you this morning, you, you, you raised the question at one point. You said, you know, is this about Merrick Garland being uh, bitter about not becoming uh, a justice on the Supreme Court? And I think you can't discount that. Can't. And this was an opportunity as attorney general for Merrick Garland to establish his independence, to establish that the uh, DOJ would be independent of this administration and maybe set him up for a future appointment to the high court. But now I think politics uh, have become too much of, of his decisions. So think about this after the Russia hoax, after the FBI guys texting anti-Trump stuff, we know about Strzok and Page and everything else. The FBI must be like, really? You want me to go raid his house now? Doesn't half of America hate us enough? Griff, we'll see you tomorrow, right, on Fox & Friends? Let's do it. All right, absolutely. Are you going to change? No. I didn't think so. <laughs> Back in a moment. Brian Kilmey, Kim. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. 1-866-408-7669. We come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country. Heard around the world. Uh, busy hour coming your way. A lot going on. Uh, and one of the things going on, of course, is uh, we are watching... Uh, we're watching a lot of breaking news that's happening. We know the president of the United States is down in Maryland trying to inspire his troops. We think that he's going to be announcing that he's running for re-election any, within the next couple of weeks. Senator Daines is joining me at the bottom of the hour. He believes that they can flip John Tester's seat uh, from blue to red in his state. Let's see. And Mark Thiessen standing by. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Do you think that it was objectively reasonable and they followed your guidelines in sending 20 to 30 armed agents to terrorize these people? Yes or no? 
The facts I have, which are those presented by the FBI, are not consistent with your description. So you think it was reasonable? Yes, he does. Believe it or not. And he's unreasonable. Justice denied and dare I say deceived as A.G. Garland bobs and weaves his way through tough questioning on the Mar-a-Lago raid, Hunter's fame laptop, high profile arrest, school board scare tactics and more. We'll bring you the latest. Number two. For the short term, uh, you know, this is no no problem. Should not be a problem. Uh, If that persists for year after year and people continue to breathe that, yes, it would in fact be a problem. You think so, Governor DeWine? Toxic train investigation and cleaning debacle continues as an independent study of air and water quality disputes the old clear signals so far coming from the feds as the frustration in this working class Ohio town grows. Number one. First of all, I would appreciate if you stop calling it an overdose. It's a poisoning and it's a war against our kids. So stop with the overdosing. That's part of the problem. The American public thinks it's a substance that people want to take. I yield back. You believe that? A Democrat not wanting to hear the truth about the border. Derek Maltz, the FDI, the director of the DEA Special Operations Unit, former, sadly. Fentanyl, two broken borders. The true national security disaster gets worse in America. And you can blame almost all of it on this administration who refused to acknowledge this disaster. Let's bring in Mark Thiessen. Mark, the most preventable catastrophe, calamity that I can remember. Because you're allowing the United Nations to cross through our borders, national security risk, and fentanyl to wipe out the suburbs, for the most part, in America. And he just refuses to do what you would think every president would want to do, and that's keep his people safe. It's it's a man-made disaster. It's a man-made disaster. It's the only way I can describe it. I mean, this is – this. You know, Biden gave the State of the Union address where he said, you know, Congress needs to act and fund fund the border. And it was like almost laughable. He's got the same exact laws on the books right now that Donald Trump and Barack Obama had. And they enforced the border. I mean, Obama, you know, you remember people forget this. He didn't Biden didn't just reverse Trump's border policies. He's reversed Barack Obama's border policies. Barack Obama set records for deportations. Because, you know, he he actually enforced the law when it came when it came to the southern border. And and Joe Biden has the lowest number of deportations in the history of, of, of ICE. Uh, this is. And so what they're doing is they're let they're, They got the borders wide open. And it's not so it, uh, the, it put aside the illegal immigrants coming over. What, what the cartels are doing is what they do is they they use illegal migrants to distract the border patrol so they can get the fentanyl in. So what they'll do is they'll send a bunch of migrants in at one side at one point of the border, which they know will drive all of the CPB agents over there. And then they bring the fentanyl in on another side and sneak it in. So they're using the flow of migrants in order to sell to, to, to invade our country with drugs that are killing, you know, 100,000 Americans. An estimated 5000 Russians are waiting at the Mexican border for their chance to cross and claim asylum. Uh, the according to Border Patrol. Uh, also, uh, we find out Ukrainians are also there. We have 300 Russians waiting to cross the Rio Grande right now in South Texas. That's as uh, as we went to sleep last night. Now we're seeing the United Nations coming here. And I was just sharing with Griff Jenkins, as you know, does stellar work at the border. Uh, what I just got a message for yesterday. So a colonel in the military is uh, at the airport. Uh, he had just retired, and let me just get it up here. And he says he gets someone to come up to him, and he thinks they're just they're lost. And it turns out 
He puts it into Google, uh, Google Translate, and I'll read you verbatim what it says. I'm returning from California and flying through Reagan National Airport. A guy was trying to communicate with me about his gate. I use Google Translate, and it turns out he's from Albania. He entered from California, crossed the border from Mexico, given the phone, paperwork, and a plane ticket to Michigan. It's unbelievable, right? Well, here, here's the thing. So if you're a Russian who opposes Putin's war, you're going to get – I mean, if you even say something to your neighbor, you can get thrown in jail, right? If you're a Ukrainian who's escaping a war, these, these are probably legitimate asylum cases. Probably. In some of these cases, right? And so what's happened is – is that the, they've opened up the border to all these false – I think something like 80 percent of the asylum cases at the border are, are found to be not, not valid, right? And so they're clogging up the, 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 the asylum system with claims from false claims, which means that there are you – know, there's only so many people. We did, and Biden didn't hire 70,000 uh, you know, people to process – he hired 70,000 IRS agents, not people to process asylum claims. There's only so many people to process claims. And so what, what's happening is – People who have legitimate claims are not getting their claims adjudicated because the because the system is clogged up with all these false claims from economic migrants coming from Central and South America. And so what they figured out is the only way to get your to get your claim adjudicated is to come in illegally through the southern border. And so you've got Ukrainians and Russians now going to the border and trying to get in. These people should be able to go to an embassy in in somewhere in Europe. And follow the normal procedures and get their claims adjudicated and, be, and brought over here because they're actually legitimate refugees. They're legitimate asylum claims. But it's because they've, they've, they've broken the system so badly and are taking seriously a lot of these false claims uh, that, that, and making it easy to come in to, over the southern border that they, they finally figured out, well, we, we should do the same thing as everybody else is doing. And, it, and, and it's working. So El Paso preparing for a potential migrant surge in May. I got the numbers uh, that are out now. They're stunning. A lot of people are saying the numbers are going down. But you know what the numbers are going down? It's deceiving us. This new parole program where you download the app, you apply for citizenship, you apply to come in from the country you're in or the first one you walk into. At which time, if they send you back that you're approved, they send a plane and we fly you in. So you're no longer looked at as a border crosser. So you're removed from the tallies. To me, it's diabolical, and it shows in acquiescence. We will find a way to go around the system. Uh, I'm just—it's sickening, it's sickening, uh, Mark Thiessen. It is, um, you know, and but you know, here's the thing. So Trump had the—it was Trump's policy was the uh, was the uh, the policy of uh, you had to apply in the first country that you get into. Um, so to the extent that you have a legitimate claim to make. It should be made while you're there, and then if they find that you have a legitimate case, then they should then then you should be able to be brought in. It's the it's the problem is is that they they just don't care about these people coming in by the by the millions. They want these people to come into our country. Uh, they don't think it's an it's a, it's a negative. Um, you know, you mean you had Nancy Pelosi said, well, let's put them to work. We got a labor shortage. You know, like no, we need to have a, we need to fix our immig- our immigration system is so so broken. And the problem is is that. You could probably come to some agreement on fixing the immigration system so that we have a system that is, that is bringing the right people in. I, I personally think we should be bringing in more sure. legal immigrants. I do too. Right? I do too. You know, I, I legal immigrants – and then there was just a poll the other day that, that showed this, that the vast majority of Americans think that we should shut down illegal immigration and we should increase the number of legal immigrants in this country. But, we gotta have, but we got, we're a country of laws. We've got to do it legally. We've got to do it – and we have to choose – 
we have to pick who's coming in and who's not, not just open our borders so that anybody, including people on the terror watch list, can walk right into our country. Oh. But you can't fix that system while there's an open border. While the, the, the prerequisite for any kind of rational, bipartisan approach to border, to, border secure, to, to immigration reform is a secure border, and they're undermining that by the, by the chaos they've unleashed. I hear you. So uh, Texas A&M and Carnegie Mellon, as we switch to the toxic train debacle in Ohio, uh, have been conducting their own air quality tests using a mobile testing unit in East Palestine. They said the chemicals persisting right now at the current levels could cause long-term health issues for residents. The finding is a direct contrast to what the EPA is saying. While they said the findings are not necessarily immediate health concerns, their repeating exposure over time could be damaging. And we just had everybody that goes there says the smell is still in the air. So this is a problem. We know this. I give credit to, I think it's uh, Mike Regan, who continues mm-hmm. to stay down there and set up a welcome center. He walks into people's houses. He talks to them. Nobody else. Our transportation secretary and our president hasn't even shown up. So I asked Governor DeWine, what about uh, President Biden? Listen. For the short term, uh, you know, this is no, no problem. Should not be a problem. Uh, if that persists for year after year and people continue to breathe that, yes, it would in fact be a problem. I think where this clearly goes in the long run, uh, to assure people that their concerns about the long run will, in fact, be taken care of a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, we're going to have to end up with a fund. And the railroad is going to have to establish that fund in conjunction uh, with officials. Ultimately, uh, that will be you know, supervised by a court. But that's where this eventually goes. There's no doubt about it. The president needs to come. Uh, the people want to see the president. He should be there. So he doesn't, and he has not talked to him since he was in Poland. So what does that tell you, Mark Thiessen? It's it's almost like they're just so stubborn that, like, if you call them out for not showing up, then they just double down. It's like, you know, I I remember one of my favorite quotes from President Bush 41 was the the symbol of America is an eagle, not an ostrich. Right. There's a reason for that. The symbol of the Democratic Party should be switched from a donkey to an ostrich because they just stick their head in the sand and everything. You couldn't get him to go to the border for two and a half years. He does. There's a crisis in East Palestine, and he doesn't show up. Mayor Pete, who wants to be president of the United States, doesn't show up. He's the transportation. You would think that he would that he would see this as an opportunity to show his leadership, to show, to take command, to do something. So people, you know, people say, you know, if you can't handle a train derailment in East Palestine, how are you going to handle Ukraine? How are you going to handle Taiwan? You know, it, 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 it's it's the the incompetence is stunning. And then as a as far as the science is concerned, so if you're from East Palestine, and and you've got government scientists coming in and saying to you everything is okay, we've done the testing, you're looking at the pandemic, and everything that the government scientists got wrong in COVID, and you're thinking I don't trust them, and you're right not to trust them. <laughs> And then you've got and then you have some private scientists who come in and say, and say actually, no, it's, it's, it's right. actually a lot worse than the government scientists are saying. I hear you. It's, it's the same problem that the, the, the public health bureaucracy in this country, the government scientists have absolutely destroyed their credibility with the American people. It's and amazing. now you're having this problem in East Palestine. Last topic. Washington Post uh, talks about a showdown before the raid on Mar-a-Lago. The FBI agents and prosecutors argued over whether they should do it. Prosecutors said there's new evidence that Trump has knowingly concealing documents. The two senior FBI officials who would be in charge of leading the search resisted the plan as too combative and proposed instead to seek Trump's permission to search the property. 
They have a showdown. They're forced to do the raid in daylight. We carry it live. It is a huge deal that's still resonating. It resulted in a special prosecutor. No more cooperation or very little cooperation. What is your reaction to the Washington Post revelation? Um, that, again, the, the FBI, is, first of all, it shows that there was internal opposition to, to it. Um, and that what it shows to me, one, is there are good people inside the FBI who are trying to fix this yes. thing. Uh, you know, there are just like just like, you know, there are whistleblowers who came to Chuck Grassley about about the Hunter, Bi- Hunter Biden stuff. The, the FBI has has corruption at the top, but there are a lot of a lot of good agents in there who want to do the right thing. Um, and this is an institution that's in deep need of saving. Um, and because it's so important to our national security and to and, and to our safety. Um, and we got to fix it. Understood. Uh, listen, Mark, it's a very compelling time. Uh, glad you're here. Washington Post columnist, Fox News contributor. Have a great weekend, Mark. Thanks. Same to you. You got it. Uh, Mark kicked off the One Nation show, which airs every Saturday at 8 o'clock, and I hope everyone's going to be listening again. We've got a huge show on tap. Meanwhile, Senator Steve Dane from Montana at the bottom of the hour. Next, your calls, 1-866-408-7669. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. By the way, you docs are good, but there's any angels in heaven, they're all nurses, male and female. You know why? You guys let us, you guys make us, allow us to live. Nurses make you want to live. When I was at Walter Reed all that time after a couple craniotomies, I was lying there, and I had a nurse named Pearl Nelson, military. She come in and do things that I don't think you learn in medical school, nursing school. What, what does that even mean? He's slurring well, his words. I know. Well, they played actually that cut on Colbert, but that's why you heard the laugh at the end. But his joke wasn't funny. But the, the comments of him making it were the slurring is insane. But then also saying the nurse doing things she didn't, you don't think she learns in nursing school. <laughs> Unbelievable. Rock, okay. listen to WNIS in Virginia Beach. Hey, Rock. Hey, hey, Brian, thank you uh, for taking my call. Uh, earlier you were talking about Pete Buttigieg, and he wants to run as president, you think, and I agree he might. Uh, but I think the reason he doesn't show up and he doesn't put much effort into it is he's he's conditioned to running on identity politics. And if you do that and you have help through the media and the Democrat Party, if they do the heavy lifting, you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is show up. And I think that his career – from the time he was mayor all the way up till now, has been built on that. He doesn't expect to have to do any real effort, and he might get to to the presidency. Uh, I I don't think so. I mean, I I would think that we'd have some type of standards on the left. He's a, just a failed uh, mayor, a failed transportation secretary, a lazy one who now is being investigated for using abusing his private fl- uh, uh, flight privileges. And do you believe that? Well, we have another issue. Now we have trains, we have balloons, we have airports, we have near collisions. Please tell me how he's addressing it. And you know what we used to? I mean, I'm just reading a lot about Teddy Roosevelt. 
Teddy Roosevelt would look at a problem, call a press conference, have the press there. A lot of people would be turned off, but he was a man of action. He said, let me tackle this problem. I think that these business, uh, these huge conglomerates control too much. Let's break them up. I want to handle the environment. Let's cordon it off. Let's go ahead and form a police force. Let's set up training. Let's have it going. Let's call the press. Let's make it happen. I want to see, if I was Pete Buttigieg, if I was a friend of his, I'd say, you got to make you, you got to become the best transportation secretary ever. I want you in the front of every single problem. And if there is a problem that you can't tackle, I want people to say, at least I respect that he tried. He gets just, just the opposite. Barry in Los Angeles. Hey, Barry. Our immigration system is not broken. If you don't like the rules, fine. We need to change them. The problem is, is our, our current administration is not following the current rules. There are rules in place. The immigration system is not broken. When people like you and Thiessen say, yeah, it's broken, you're only playing into the Democratic narrative. Well, it's I will, not I... broken. If you don't like the rules, fine. I agree. We, we can change the laws. But let's first, oh, let's first follow the current laws and then change them. Uh, I would not... say the current laws that allow people to get asylum because they have two or three things that they say. They're being abused. They're running for their lives. They fear for their safety. That gets them in with a pass and they get a hearing. That's not good enough for me. I need to leave them in their other country while we research the veracity of what they claim. That would be the beginning. Number two is I would build a barrier because we don't have enough people at the border. Even though the money's there, we don't have the bodies there. The wall helps. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we're back. Let's bring in Senator Steve Daines. Always love having him on. He's on finance, energy, natural resources, banking, housing, urban affairs, and chairman of the National Republican Senatorial Committee. Senator, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Good to join you. Hey, Senator. uh, John Tester, your partner in Montana, says he's going to run for another six years. Do you have a candidate to run against him? Because uh, as a Democrat in a red state, he seems to do what Manchin does. Find a way to win people over. You know, Brian, when I first ran for Congress, and as you know, I was 28 years in the private sector. I went directly from the software business uh, into public service. When I ran in Montana for the U.S. House seat, which back then was a statewide seat, it was an at-large seat, there was only one statewide elected Republican. The rest were all Democrats. Today in Montana, out of nine office holders, only one's a Democrat. Eight are Republicans. This state has shifted. What we've seen, Brian, is that people are fleeing states like California, Oregon, Washington, because they're fleeing the heavy hand of blue governors, and they're coming to freedom in Montana. We have a Republican governor. As we say, it's not just the quality of life in Montana. You know, people see the show Yellowstone. They're just enamored with it, as they should be. But it's about the quality of leadership. The only Democrat left in Montana is John Tester. Our state is ready now to make a change to make sure that both senators line up with what Montanans believe and the values that we have. And by the way, I just want to make a plug. We've got a site called Senate24.com, Senate24.com, 
where folks can give 25 bucks to or 24 bucks for 24, whatever, a small donation to help states like Montana, Ohio, and West Virginia specifically. It's a candidate fund. No matter who wins the primary, we're going to give that money to the winner of the primary because these three states, starting with Montana, are key pickup seats to make sure we get the majority back. Right. So you're going to uh, – there's a report in Axios today that – a lot of you guys are going to make these so-called moderate Democrats take some tough votes. For example, on getting ESG factors uh, uh, out of investing and focus on profits for investors, not agenda. So you're going to make Senator Joe Manchin, John Tester, uh, the Democrats up for re-election, uh, who are vulnerable. Senator Sherrod Brown, you would think is vulnerable, a third one. And make them vote on some of these things and see if they'll go along with it. After all, they only have a one-seat majority. Well, here's what we're seeing right now, Brian. We saw that vote. This is the the ESG vote that we took yesterday to push back on the invasion of wokeness into investing in our country. It's it's taking over corporate America. It's a very dangerous ideology that is putting shareholders in the back seat and then putting these so-called stakeholders in the front seat, driving this green hallucination, uh, driving these crazy gender radical ideologies. I mean, in Montana. Hannah, you know what, Brian? We say let kids be kids. Let girls be girls. Let boys be boys. That is common sense. We've got to push back on these radical ESG proposals. But here's what happened is some of these frightened Democrats like Joe Manchin and John Tester, they're having foxhole conversion suddenly. And they, they see that they have got to start supporting some of the things we do. So they, they've turned into Republicans here for the next two years on some of these votes because they know the people back home do not like where the Biden administration and Senate Democrats are headed. No kidding. Uh, it wasn't just there, too. Uh, when you talk about what's happening with the COVID restrictions lifting them, uh, also when you uh, talk about what they're doing with uh, CRT in schools if you're a moderate Republican Democrat, you should not be voting for that. But Hickenlooper's up, told Axios they plan to vote uh, for Senator John Marshall's resolution ending the COVID national emergency declaration. The president said he's not ready to do that. What about pressuring him to go ahead and uh, make public the COVID-19 intelligence that supposedly goes, uh, ties everything back to China? They, can't, they said they're going to follow the president's directive on that. Why don't you get them to vote for that? You know, you're so right on this, uh, Brian. And what's crazy is got people like Dr. Fauci and the Biden administration. They're believing what the Chinese dictators in communist China are saying. In fact, I think they probably were believing the fact when they said it's a weather balloon, not a Chinese spy balloon, that they tend to lean and believe the Chinese versus our own people. Remember, Brian, when the COVID, um, when COVID began in Wuhan, there were several on Capitol Hill, Republicans who were saying, wait a minute, there's that lab in Wuhan where they literally go grab bats in caves, bring it into the lab with known COVID viruses, these coronaviruses. And they said this could have been a leak coming out of that lab. And guess what? The intel now is suggesting that's exactly where it came from. And so we have got to drive this into the ground, get the data out there for the American people to show that uh, this wasn't some kind of a random accident in a market where somehow it transmitted to some animal in a Wuhan wet market, uh, this very likely came right out of one of the labs uh, that was paid for by the Chinese. And by the way, by the way, the World Health, World 
World Health Organization funded this. There's even some funding from the United States to WHO that could have been complicit in this horrible, horrible situation of a leak out of that Wuhan lab. Think of the trillions of dollars, the millions of lives that have been lost because of what happened in Wuhan. I mean, you're in charge of energy and natural resources. What is it going to take to... Uh, to start getting new refineries going? Do you see them allowing drilling? Do you see them picking up the pace, uh, the flow of the oil coming from Alaska? Evidently, it slowed down. It's two-thirds of what it was when Trump was in office. Is there any movement on this? No. The Democrats are immovable on this, Brian. It's insanity. Have they refilled the reserves? No, they haven't. They, they are doing everything they can to shut down American energy. It's gotten so ridiculous. Now, you're going to think I'm launching some new conspiracy theory, Brian. This is the truth. They want to ban 50% of the gas stoves in America. I made this point at a press conference on Tuesday. We've got the literally the documentation from the Department of Energy, from the Biden administration. They're targeting now gas stoves, 50%. This is part of their green hallucination. Remember, every day when they wake up, they worship a green religion, the Democrats, and their goal is to get rid of fossil fuels. It's really dangerous. You remember Biden's State of the Union address? He made that offhanded comment that we're going to be done with oil in 10 years. Laughter broke out on the Republican side because here's the facts. The energy demand and requirements in the world are going to increase 50 percent in the next 25 years. We'll need 50 percent more energy than we, than we have today in the next 25 years. Coal, oil, natural gas are all going to play a significant role in our energy portfolio for the next 30 years. The Democrats have got to come to grips with science and reality and basic physics, because if they don't, we go down the same path that Europe's gone down, where Putin weaponized energy, and now Europe's in a mess because they started embracing only windmills, only solar, shutting down coal plants, shutting down nuclear plants. That's called baseload power. And now they're in trouble because if you don't have energy security, you don't have national security. And Brian, I'm not opposed to renewable sources of energy, but let's use that as adding to our portfolio instead of shutting down conventional energy before renewables are ready for prime time. And they're a long ways from, they're called intermittent energy for a reason because the wind doesn't always blow, the sun doesn't always shine. Uh, it's a nice part to add to our portfolio, but please, please, we can't let the, these green radicals that have captured the Democrats shut down baseload power, oil, nuclear, natural gas. Well, uh, we do know this. They have 5149 uh, advantage in the Senate. A lot of people think that Governor Jim Justice is going to run against Manchin. Uh, he's very successful governor, very popular, could be successful there. For you guys, Ryan Zinke, who just got back to Congress after being interior secretary, people are talking about him running. Who would you like to see challenge Tester on the right? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, anytime there is a vulnerable Democrat like we have in Montana, you know, the only Democrat left. Remember when I ran in 2020, my reelection for the Senate, the uh, one of the last – the other last Democrat was the governor, and he decided to run against it. He never lost a race. He'd been our attorney general. He was elected in 2016, reelected, uh, and 
I beat him by 10 points. He was a very popular governor. And so I think it shows how Montana has shifted. So because of that, Brian, we, we have a number of individuals that are looking at running in that race, uh, including Ryan Zinke. But we've got an attorney general, Austin Knutson. We've got uh, Matt Rosendale. We've got others out there that are looking to run against John Tester. So uh, I'm confident that whoever our nominee becomes, we're going to win that seat. And remember, at Senate24.com, we've got to start getting geared up because the Democrats know how to raise money on Act Blue on 20 bucks a pop donations. We've got to start doing that as Republicans, and that's why we stood up this site, Senate24.com, targeted uniquely to Montana, Ohio, right. West Virginia. I, the last three Democrats standing in those states are the senators, and we're going to have all Republicans here after the 24 election. We have a border. We have two borders that are a problem. Uh, the northern border, people are crossing at a rate 500 percent over what they were. And we know what's happening in the southern part of the border. Among the people fed up is Congressman Chip Roy, a Republican who's a border state. Cut 11. A federal government that opens our borders to cartels, a group of Republicans who campaign on securing the border, who run away in abject surrender, refusing to actually do it. That's the question before us right now. That's the question for every member of the Republican conference. I'm speaking to you. If you do not secure the border now, now, you are giving up any argument you have for the American people to put their faith in you. So he wants to see action. Don't tell me you're the minority. you got a Republican governor. Do you feel as though Republicans could be doing more? Should Mitch McConnell be speaking about it more? We need to be talking about what's going on at the southern border every day. And, and Brian, when you think about Montana, you don't think about Montana as, as being affiliated with the southern border. Look, we are a northern border state. We in Montana have a southern border crisis. And for us, it's the drugs. The Mexican cartels are, are taking chemicals from China, importing them into Mexico, manufacturing fentanyl, and they're bringing it to Montana. When it crosses the southern border, Brian, it gets to Montana within 48 hours. We've, we've, my, my guest at this President's State of the Union address, we're each allowed one member pass to have up in the gallery. I brought, I brought Tom Schraps from Butte, Montana. He lost his 24-year-old son, Riley, tragically to fentanyl poisoning last year. It's out of control. Our seizures of fentanyl are up 11,000% in Montana since 2019. Our fatal overdoses of fentanyl are up 1,100% in Montana since 2017. This is a direct result of the out-of-control southern border because we have 5 million illegals coming across. The Border right. Patrol agents are not able to stop the drugs. So I've been down that southern yeah. border. You know, At night, I don't want PowerPoint slides. I ride in the pickups with them. You see it firsthand. Chip Roy, by the way, is exactly right. A couple of things. Last thing is we know that there's a huge problem at the border with fentanyl. And Marjorie Taylor Greene said something, again, over the top. She just says uh, President Biden's responsible for these deaths. But listen to his reaction to everyone that died of fentanyl. Cut it. Cut five. Isn't she amazing? <laughs> Oof. Ours is the reason she was, she was very specific. I shouldn't digress, probably. She was, I've read. She, she was very specific recently saying that a mom, a poor mother who lost two kids to fentanyl, that that I killed her sons. Well, the interesting thing is that fentanyl they took came during the last administration. 
Look, folks. Anyway, I don't want to get started. I mean, what's he even talking about? He thinks it's funny, but does it matter that thousands of people have lost their job under his administration is coming across faster than ever? Brian, that, that, that's, that's just a terrible moment. I mean, just listen to that, to hearing the, the president of the United States chuckling about families who have lost their loved ones to fentanyl poisoning. I mean, that, that's chilling, Brian. And, and to somehow to flex, well, that was because of what Trump did. That, that's, that's absolutely false. Look, the numbers are so compelling right now in terms of the fentanyl flood because of the Biden administration. And it's true there was fentanyl coming across prior to, to Biden's presidency, but the numbers have shifted dramatically now with a flood of fentanyl coming in. You know, our law enforcement agents, our first responders risk their lives now on the front lines because of fentanyl. When they go out and they, if, if you've got an EMT coming upon a car accident or an officer making an arrest or a, a highway stop, if there's fentanyl in the vehicle, they can be exposed to it, and it can be deadly. That's why they often carry the, they carry the Narcan um, antidote with them to save lives of law enforcement. So it's outrageous that President Biden would somehow be cynical and chuckle as he's watching and hearing about Americans dying because of Mexican cartel-made fentanyl. Senator Steve Daines, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. All right, Senator Steve Daines of Montana. He wants to be joined by a Republican. Tester's tough to beat. Will this be the time Republicans get his number? When we come back, I'll take some calls. 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. A toddler ratted out a fugitive's location to Kentucky cops. Not a great story for the prison yard. How'd you get caught? Uh, Meth deal went south and my crew turned on me. You, Braden was mad because I limited his screen time. (laughs) Here's what happened. Police were looking for a woman with multiple warrants. They broke into a living room full of grown-ups who refused to say anything. But suddenly the toddler stood up and said, She is inside the room next to the bathroom. And it is good to be honest. We shouldn't lie. So is that, that really happened? Is that the whole premise of this? Yeah, I mean, he then had a joke that was just okay, but it's not a ridiculous story. <laughs> Got to be careful with kids around. I know. They say the darndest things. I know. You better watch yourself. Oh, how, I'm in trouble. How old are your kids now? Do you even keep track? Yeah, I do that keep right? track. Uh, five, three, and three. Now, no, are almost you worried three. about almost are, three. Are you worried about them? Oh, no. Andy they, and I say all the time that we are going to have some very embarrassing moments at some point in the future. All right. Uh, so, you know, I guess you know, whenever they whenever they grow up a little bit, uh, you're really going to get busy when they get sports age or whatever, hobby age, whether it's Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts. Oh, my goodness. It's already starting. You're going to have to get a team of uh, domestic help. Uh, instead of just one person of domestic help. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, real quick. Uh, yesterday, uh, Attorney General Garland spoke and he had to take some direct questions. He refused to almost uh, answer almost anything from Hunter Biden's laptop on down to what's going on with putting the FBI on school board uh, parents. Here's what Britt Hume uh, uh, actually interpreted this as. Cut 21. But I'll tell you, I watched some of that hearing today, and he did not have a good afternoon on Capitol Hill or a good day on Capitol Hill. Uh, he got into an exchange with, uh, with Senator Hawley about the, the way that, the, that an anti-abortion activist in Philadelphia was arrested with a huge SWAT team and all that. that, didn't, that and and he, his answers were weak and, 
and, and, and, and very poorly spoken. Uh, same thing happened in an exchange with Ted Cruz, which may not have been entirely fair on Cruz's part, but nonetheless, he does not come across as a strong spokesman for his Justice Department or for his positions as, as the Attorney General. And I can only imagine what people are thinking now who thought, who thought he ought to be on the Supreme Court, because I suspect uh, that there's some relief in some quarters about that. How about this? How about is he angry? Is he angry that President Obama put him up in his final year when the uh, tragic death of uh, Justice Scalia? And Mitch McConnell says, no, you're in the second term, the last year. We're not going to hear you. He said, no, really, he's moderate. And Mitch McConnell said, no. And that was part of the reason Donald Trump got elected. They said, we need a Republican picking the next Supreme Court justice. The spot just remained open. And now you know that Merrick Garland, what he would have been like, way left, and number two, or very angry. Very angry and determined to take it down to Republicans who wouldn't give him his chance at the ultimate court. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hello, welcome to the latest moment to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. 1 866 408 7669. This hour, we're going to be joined by Dr. Marty McCary. In fact, he is uh, queuing up right now. And Haley Barber, not only a successful governor, two term governor, but used to run the RNC, a real practical look at what's going to happen, play out, how this will play out uh, on the Republican stage. Remember, we got Vivek Ramaswamy. He's uh, brilliant, but unknown. Then you have Nikki Haley. Man, is she qualified? And she's the first out of the shoot outside the former president of the United States. Next coming up is going to be Mike Pence, followed by Mike Pompeo, I believe, and then Governor DeSantis. And does that, after Tim Scott, round out the uh, or Governor Youngkin, does that round out the stage? We know this. We know in August we get the debate. So before we talk about that, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Do you think that it was objectively reasonable and they followed your guidelines in sending 20 to 30 armed agents to terrorize these people? Yes or no? The facts I have, which are those presented by the FBI, are not consistent with your description. So you think it was reasonable? Yeah, justice denied, in my view, and dare I say deceived, as A.G. Garland bobs and weaves his way through the questioning at Mar-a-Lago, Hunter's famed laptop, profile, high-profile arrests, school board, scare tactics, and more. We'll bring you some of the riveting exchanges. Number two. For the short term, uh, you know, this is no, no problem. It should not be a problem. Uh, if that persists for year after year and people continue to breathe that, yes, it would, in fact, be a problem. Governor DeWine of Ohio, toxic train investigation and cleaning debacle continues as the independent study of air and water quality disputes the old clear from the EPA. Frustration mounting in this Ohio town. Number one. First of all, I would appreciate if you stop calling it an overdose. It's a poisoning and it's a war against our kids. So stop with the overdosing. That's part of the problem. The American public thinks it's a substance that people want to take. I yield back. Do you believe that? A congressman cutting himself off. Fentanyl, two broken borders, a true national security disaster gets worse in America. And you could blame almost all of it on this administration who refuses to acknowledge this being a disaster and a deadly one at that. Uh, Let's bring in uh, Dr. Marty McCary. Dr. McCary, welcome back. Good to be with you, Brian. Uh, First off, what a week you've had. What was it like testifying? 
Uh, it's pretty cool because you've got the ear of people on the right and the left. And, you know, I stick with the data. So, you know, I'm, I'm ready for anything. Bring it on. Right. And what they wanted to do is come forward with the fact that little by little, the revelations reveal uh, that mass, paper masks don't work. Children should not be made to get vaccinated. There shouldn't be an annual COVID shot. Oh, yeah. And when it comes to the orange of the virus and you think the lab, you should not be shadow banned or banned in particular. But first and foremost, natural immunity. It was totally discounted. You thought it was real. I thought it was real. We were always told it was real. And then we find out it was not even considered. What is for you has been the biggest revelation over the last few years? Well, Dr. Fauci, under pressure from scientists that, that were his friends, these are the like-minded people that were part of that high-level you know, group that made all the decisions, they told him, hey, you've got to recognize natural immunity. I mean, it's just scientifically, you know, right in front of us. It's obvious. So he called up four friends who were scientists. I know who they are. And he put it to a straw poll. Two of them said, you got to recognize it. And two of them said, don't. So he decided not to. So that, that is how, that's how our U.S. policy has been made. And that's what happens when the president appoints a guy who has made so many mistakes to be his chief medical advisor. Who never admits it. I think that's the most maddening thing. I'd say to myself, wait a second, what did I just watch him say in another channel? He would make, he would do policy by interview. I mean, to me, how do you even study any of your charts if you're on television constantly? Here's a little of your testimony as we talk about natural immunity, the misperceptions, and how things have come full circle. The medical profession got politicized, and we all were worse for it. The greatest perpetrator of misinformation during the pandemic has been the United States government. We've seen something which is unforgivable, and that is the weaponization of medical research itself. The data has now caught up in giant systematic reviews, and the public health officials were intellectually dishonest. They lied to the American people. And, and, they, and they never admitted it, and they won't pay a price, and... Uh, your thoughts in retrospect. Number one, I think it's wrong to think that the vaccines didn't save lives. Do you agree with that? The vaccines definitely down, downgraded the severity of illness in high-risk Americans. So I still believe that. So do you think it saved lives? or Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So do you think now that the variants have emerged from this, do you believe that the boosters uh, are just as effective as the original virus itself in, in attacking no. the variants? No, and that's why we've never had a randomized controlled trial of this bivalent booster, the one that the government pre-purchased 171 million doses of. They're sitting on a stockpile of about 140 million right now because they didn't do a trial. They approved it based on eight mice, and uh, people want to know if it works before they take it. And, and that's why the, the booster doesn't even – they don't even talk boosters coming out of the White House. We see some 30-second spots, maybe even some mixed into the Super Bowl coverage. The other thing is what happened to these kids in schools. How many times were you on this show and on TV with me in particular talking about kids need to be back in schools and teachers don't tell me the teachers are in jeopardy. Teachers didn't want to go in unless the kids were vaccinated or the vaccination had to be good for the teachers. But they're worried about the kids and the kids had to wear masks. What did we learn about schools? Well, uh, we ignored the experience and the data from overseas. The schools there were open free and clear the entire time, and 
we ignored that. The New York Times could not send a single reporter over there. Instead, they just you know, portrayed fear every single day. And the studies are now clear. So it's really tragic because, you know, part of me wants to think Rochelle Walensky and these uh, people are really incompetent because that would explain why we had such disastrous policies. But the reality is they're very smart people. And we now know the American Federation of Teachers made two edits to the CDC school guidance before it was published, and both edits appeared verbatim in the document. So God knows what was happening on the phone calls, separate from what we now know about those edits. So how unbelievable is this? Just to underline what you just said, the teachers union who got President uh, who helped deliver the election for President Biden got in touch with the CDC, and they changed their policies in favor of what the teachers unions wanted. That's right. I mean, I want to think our public health leaders were morons and they just had really bad judgment. But that's not what happened. What happened was a very sophisticated and almost diabolical effort to appease a stakeholder group, ignoring the other stakeholder group of 50 million American kids who don't vote and don't have a lobby. That's the untold tragedy of the pandemic and our misguided policy was its disproportionate effect on the defenseless on poor and minority communities, and on children. Uh, Which is pretty amazing, which brings us to the new revelation. The FBI joins with the Energy Department, who's got a robust science division, and said the the source of this virus was the Wuhan lab. So you would think, uh, if you brought that up before, and you were Tom Cotton the first to say it in 2020, in January of 2020, this Wuhan lab, this is exactly where this virus came from. Logic would tell you, look out for it. He also on a side note, called President Trump and said, stop the flights. I'm telling you right now, these Chinese Chinese citizens will be almost weaponized into our country. Knock it off. We saw what happened with Italy because it's such trade between the robust trade between the two countries. Having said that, you a marginalized conspiracy theorist. And now we find out the FBI believes it. The Energy Department believes it. And most free thinking people believe it. But Anthony Fauci doesn't. Dr. McCary, I don't need, I don't know if you know it, but he was on the air on Monday saying this. We must all keep an open mind as to all possibilities. The data that uh, evolutionary virologists have submitted uh, and published in peer-reviewed journals rather strongly suggests that it was a natural occurrence. There appears to be obviously a disagreement. You have to look at the data. Uh, I don't see any data for a lab leak. Okay. How do you feel about that? What data is he looking at? What data are you looking at? Man, when I listen to Dr. Fauci in that clip you just played, I think, man, what a master speaker. I mean, that guy sounds poetic, poetic, you know, evolutionary biologist, the preponderance of whom believe the data. Look, you've got to be a moron to think it doesn't come from the lab right now. In 1977, the Chinese had a lab leak, well-documented, caused an epidemic of influenza. The doctors in the Wuhan hospital were arrested, the original people blowing the whistle, because they knew that it was an infected lab worker that came in as patient zero. Five, the, the, the epicenter of the world is five minutes from the lab. I mean, you, all you need is Google Maps to figure this out. The U.S. inspected the lab and said it had terrible conditions, that of a dental office. The lab records were destroyed. No lab in the U.S. has destroyed their lab records. What does that tell you? The sequence that they reported to the NIH database of the original viruses they were working on before COVID, the Chinese 
scientists called the NIH and said, by the way, delete those sequences. We don't want them in the database. And the NIH just did it. And then the two top virologists in the world, forget about Fauci, the two top virologists in the United States, Michael Farzan and Robert Gary, they're from Scripps in California and from Tulane in the U.S., they told Dr. Fauci in January of 2020 that it came from the lab, that the, all the documents were recovered and the notes from the meeting by Brett Baer at, with Fox News. And so the, it was always known. You have, the only reason we're having this debate in the United States, Brian, is that it's embarrassing we were funding that lab. If we were not funding that lab, this would not even be a, a point of political discussion to protect Fauci and the NIH. Unbelievable, and that's uh, that's di- diabolical. I'll add another one. Anytime people use big words in life, they're usually trying to get around something. It reminds me of Cliff Clavin on Cheers. Do you remember how he had an answer to everything, and he sounded intelligent, but clearly there was no substance to anything he was saying. That was the comedic character in which he played. That's where, <laughs> when when you hear Dr. Fauci start breaking in the preponderance of evidence reveal, the virologist and uh, uh, concluded that one would know. When he starts talking like that, he's trying to throw you into saying, "Man, this guy went to college, and he went to college after college. I should just back off now." Jeez. Lastly, until I read Governor DeSantis's book, I was reminded about therapeutics. Remember, for the longest time, we heard about monoclonal antibodies being so effective. We heard about Regeneron helping the former president recover rapidly. And then they kind of went away. And the governor had to uh, beg, borrow, and steal to get it for his people. Why? Because it would have treated the illness. And on some level, stop people from getting perhaps the vaccine. So we'll pull it. Can you bring us through that? Yeah. Anything that would make someone hesitant to get a vaccine was immediately squashed and labeled misinformation, including very good therapeutics like monoclonal antibodies. And the U.S. government would overnight say they work and then they they don't work. Well, a medication doesn't go from working to not working and then working again in the matter of an hour. And that's why practicing physicians needed to make that point. But they downplayed therapeutics, which is, look, it's one the, people ask me, how did public health officials do during the, pub, during the pandemic? I say they did a pretty good job, except ignoring therapeutics, which means no one should have died of COVID last year. They ignored natural immunity. They emphasized masks when they don't work. They closed schools. They told you to wash <laughs> your hands like crazy. They told you myocarditis was more common after COVID. They mandated the vaccine, which did not increase vaccination rates. They gave you the wrong dose of the two vaccine in the primary series as three and four weeks. They told you the bivalent vaccine data was crystal clear when it wasn't. They told you one in five people will get long COVID and it doesn't. They told you the Wuhan lab leak was not the source. Beyond that, they did a pretty good job. And they're not done yet. The CDC is recommending that healthy children six months to four years old receive a primary series of two dozen of the Moderna Pfizer uh, BioNTech Monevolent COVID 19 vaccine followed by a third dose of the vaccine. Bring us legally what that does for Pfizer, who would be giving it, and tell me if you think it's necessary. You know, they will, they are proposing now that a 12 year old girl get 65 mRNA COVID vaccines in her average lifespan one every, you know, three to get you kicked off, and then one every year. With no data, we've never even had data that boosters are effective in young people. Um, so 
if it were up to certain people in the U.S., you'd be getting a COVID vaccine every Monday morning when you show up at work. But we got to say we need to see the data before you're going to push stuff. Uh, but I'm afraid we're just going to wake up and it's going to say mandated or your, your eight-year-old doesn't get to go to fourth grade. That, that would be the worry because we've seen it happen before. They don't mind firing nurses, telling firefighters to do something else for a living, uh, and telling other people at the border to go home. And finally, what does that do legally for Pfizer if it's recommended that the Pfizer uh, that the Pfizer vaccine is given to children? Does that give them immunity because it's mandated by the government? I believe they do have the global immunity for these products for the life, lifetime of wow. the products. So it is a dream for them. Uh, Dr. McCary, any other element that you feel vilified that you want to bring out to our audience right now? Well, um, I, look, I think people right now are frustrated and they want an apology. You know, in my field of medicine, when someone dies, families want closure. They want an apology. They want to see humility. They, they want to see the evidence or what the, you know, what happened. They want to understand the science. And I think right now there's a giant void where the American people feel that they were, you know, assaulted, that some crime was committed against them, and they don't know, you know, how to resolve this. And I think right now we need public health officials to be honest and open. That would be honest. That would be good for a change. Uh, It's it's always great to talk to him, Dr. Marty McCary. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Uh, Credibility restored. Always with us, but now with the world. When we come back, I'll take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. And then we'll welcome in another special guest. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Got a few minutes here before we get to the bottom of the hour and move forward. Uh, Dr. Barney McCary, I mean, I just get all those feelings back when I hear and we start talking about the pandemic, how our lives were disrupted. You know, if there's a fire and your house burns to the ground, your life's disrupted, but nothing you can do about it. If you started the fire, it makes it worse. But after a while, a couple of days, doesn't matter how it started. You, your stuff's burned, it's gone. You're caught in a mudslide, your house slides down a hill. You got to deal with it. You know, you might be mad, have a bad day or two, but you deal with it. And then there's unnecessary strife and stress that alters your life and a country. And then you find out that the people weren't telling the truth and instinctively you knew it. You knew it. And then you get punished for bringing it up. You've been told a conspiracy theorist, maybe taken off the air or have yourself shadow banned or banned in particular, told you should not bring this back because it's irresponsible. And then turns out that almost everything you thought, that masks don't work, that kid being outside is perfectly okay, that walking on the beach is much more healthier than staying inside, that the that the vaccine can only help so much. This was never a pandemic of the unvaccinated, like we were told, and that you should never be fired because you didn't have it, especially if the fact that you have natural immunity. But still, goodbye, firefighters. You are fired. You're not allowed to go to school. You're out of your school. you got to go transfer, lose credits, and start again, pay another semester. Lives um, inexplicably altered, and now for no reason. Can't open the schools. Six feet apart. Oh, six feet. We kind of took that from 1918. Doesn't really apply to today. Really? How many schools were closed because of that? Way too many. Brian Kilmeade.
Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We can't be attacking each other so much that we lose sight of. We have to beat the Democrats. We have to beat Joe Biden in 2024. And we may have divisive primaries and differences of opinions. But in the end, we have to settle those to, to win the big picture, which is governing our country and doing the right thing by the American people. We have to come together as a party. We saw big races lost this cycle because of Republicans refusing to support other Republicans. And unless we fix this in our party, unless we start coming together, we will not win in 2024. And that is why the chairman of the, uh, the RNC says you have to sign a pledge before you take any debate stage that you will support the eventual nominee. That's going to be trouble. Mike Pence wouldn't commit to signing that already, either with President Trump yet. He said it depends who the nominee is. Did Ronna McDaniel box herself in? Uh, let's talk to the former head uh, chairman of the RGA and RNC and former governor of Mississippi, Haley Barber. Governor, great to hear from you. Well, thank you, Brian. Glad to be back on your airtime. Well, first off, how do you feel about what Ronna McDaniel put out there? Do you think that's necessary? Uh, generally, I do not. And more importantly, the question of whether it's necessary is bigger than it seems. But the real question is, would it work if it if it was necessary? You just mentioned Mike Pence said he wouldn't agree to such a thing. Uh uh, President Trump apparently feels that way. So, in, in a way, the answer to the question is already spoken. Right. Uh, Pence is considering it, and, and Trump, they neither had ruled it out, but they thought, you know, I don't, I'm not going to be forced to sign anything. Do you want to do a debate without the former vice president and former president? It'll be inconsequential. Uh, we saw that already when 2016, when President Biden, Trump set it out. So I looked at five polls. President Trump has between an 8- and 20-point lead. How significant is that? You've been down this road before, and it is early. Well, look, it is a long, long way to the presidential election or even to the nominating process. So uh, how how many more people get in the field? Well, there are going to be several more. You know, uh, Nikki Haley got in the field last week or the week before. Uh, Pence, we talked about. Uh, Pence is clearly going to run. Uh, they're going to be Tim Scott, I several, think. Yeah. yeah, and that's a problem for Nikki and a problem for Tim. That they're both from the same state, and even though that state will come fairly high in the process, early in the process, you know, when you're splitting up uh, the the delegates from a state that's uh, only got six. Six electoral votes, if I if I remember right, six or eight. Um, but it's early, and people will will talk like they know what's going to happen. I've been doing this fifty something years. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> and I don't believe anybody else does. Will we'll, with a really successful governor like DeSantis. Uh, but there are other really successful governors like Abbott in Texas. Like Kemp in in Georgia, you look at their their records, uh, uh, economic records, the management of the of the COVID virus, uh, just and of course uh, Abbott is sitting there with an open border that for more than a hundred years the United States government has defended that border. Now he's got to do it. Now Texas is that's right. Now Texas has got to do it. 
uh, it's so it's a it, it just just cool your jets. There's Too early. Be lots of lots of other uh, lots of other candidates, and uh, and then we, and then we'll see where we go. I will say, if it's a real big field like it was in '16, that obviously helps Trump. Do you want to see Trump uh, get the nomination? Well, no. If you have a big field, it makes it more likely. No, Trump I know. But what does Haley Barber think? Does does Haley Barber want to see President Trump uh, get the nomination? I want to take a lot longer look at what we've got in front of us. I don't have to make a decision now. Not going to, but uh, I'm going to support the nominee because I, I believe that Republican voter, voters in the country got sense enough to pick who's the right person to be the nominee for our party. So the Republicans got a real wake-up call. Uh, Republicans got a wake-up call in the midterms, no doubt about it. Got the House, but just barely didn't get the Senate, lost a seat. Uh, Governorships uh, went down in Pennsylvania. They thought they had a real hope there, uh, and they thought they had a lot of hope in uh, New Hampshire. It didn't pan out uh, with the Senate with General uh, Bolduc. So having said that, what do you think the Democrat—why do you think the Democrats did so well, and what should Republicans take away from that? Well, the first thing in the House, even though we had a very, very small margin, we got a much larger percentage of the vote. We got about three million more votes than the Democrats did in House races, if you look at all the House races. Uh, part of that's because of gerrymandering. Part of it is because of people's uh, choosing to live in in areas that are maybe more like them. Yep. Uh, but that's that's just something that we've got to deal with. But don't, don't kid yourself. We did have bigger margins for the House than we did in the two, four. Even when I was party chairman, and we went from a hundred and seventy two in the House to 230 in one election, 1994. Uh, even in that, we did not have as big a margin of raw votes as we did uh, last year. So this is what the Democratic strategy is going to be. Look at that Rick Scott plan. And Rick Scott, you know, and many people think responsible. He says our non-discretionary spending uh, is unaffordable. We can't keep doing this. We're running a deficit, and Social Security is going to run out in 2030. came out and said, we're going to sunset every seven years and reevaluate. Well, that became a hot button for Democrats that they ran on. And now also labeling Trump supporters as ultra MAGA. Are Republicans ready for this? Let's well, listen. To, I want you to hear President Biden a couple of days ago. Listen. There's an awful lot of really good Republicans. But the MAGA Republicans are a different breed of cat. No, they're not bad or good. They're just very, they're very different. It's kind of like, in my view, sort of two Republican parties. So are there two Republican parties? Will that be effect- Was that effective? Is that effective? Well, that's good. Look, that's always the claim. It, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I was party chairman 20-something years ago. And the Democrats' main attack on us in the in the 94 election was we were going to cut Medi- we're going to cut medicare we were going to cut social security i remember we ran a uh, an ad in all sorts of magazines and said we'll pay anybody a million dollars that can show that we're going to cut or that we plan to cut social security of course what they were what they were saying at the time is 
if Social Security doesn't go up as fast as planned, that's a cut. Well, you know, it's not. It's not, of course. And it's all messaging. And, and, and that's right. But, I mean, Joe Biden will say things that don't pan out to be the truth. Uh, I remember in the, when Georgia changed their election laws and Biden said it was Jim Crow, that it was segregationist, that it was racially. And then it turned out the law was easier for African-Americans to vote under than the law in in Biden's home state of Delaware. Uh, I know. And, and the whole thing is, you know, better than anybody, there's the facts and then there's the perception and the messaging and how it's put out there to refute, uh, to make sure the facts get out uh, and make sure that they know who the, uh, you know, where you stand in those issues. So the big thing is, uh, is I think we've never seen anything like this. Governor Barber, in all your years, you'd have to say you never had a, a nominee become president, then be, then not win reelection and then try to run again. Bush 41 did not try to run again. Uh, when Carter lost, he did not try to run again. So, so Trump is saying, I'm going to be Grover Cleveland. I'm going to try to run again. Immediately, he becomes a lame duck like Teddy Roosevelt when Teddy Roosevelt uh, foolishly, in retrospect, announced it. But how does that play into it? See, you can honestly say you, you haven't been down this road before, right? I guarantee you not anybody can get on this phone that has been down this road before. Uh, my judgment is this. The Republican voters in the United States generally are united on policy. Most of the people who have their their views about Trump and are not going to support him will tell you most of his policies were just the kind of policies we needed in this country. Uh, but here's you got other issues that, that those people uh, consider insurmountable. Uh, we're not, as a party, we're not going to be and shouldn't ever be the party of one person forever. I worked for Ronald Reagan. I ran a political office in the White House for Ronald Reagan for two years. R- Ronald Reagan was what our party was built around, but not forever. President Reagan finished his two terms. Done. Helped George Bush get get elected, and then he stepped back. That's what we're used to presidents doing. And you you kind of wish that Trump would do that. Well, let's let's see how it goes. Let, let's let's see how how he goes forward. Let's see how the field develops. Uh, let's see what issues he has to deal with. Uh, and every you know every guy every candidate running has to deal with issues. I I thought about running for president in 2012, and came to the conclusion that I should not run because the liberal media elite were not going to allow a conservative Christian with my accent to defeat the first black president in American history. And you didn't. They you, were just yep. they, they were just going to try to make everything about that. Uh, and other people are going to have to face up to those kinds of decisions between now and people got months, Brian, they got months to decide. All right. Uh, real quick, just to Mrs. I know that. And by the way, you could have taken speech courses in New York city and maybe change that, uh, Haley Barber and then run against 
uh, Biden and got the nomination over, uh, excuse me, Obama and got the nomination over Romney. Uh, that just would have been a thought. James Carville said something interesting of late. He said the party should get past Florida and go after Mississippi. He believed Mississippi could be a blue state. Are you seeing some trends away because of the problems that, there, that Mississippi was having with uh, water and other issues and uh, how it's trending demographically? Could you tell me about that? Oh, I think James has just uh, got a lot of optimism in his spirit. I think Mary Madeline must have been, been sweet to him. No uh, way. Well, no, there's always a way. Uh, but there, there's not been any big change in Mississippi. We have two United States senators. We have three out of four of our uh, members of the House are Republicans. We have uh, veto-proof majorities in both the state House and state Senate. When, when I was governor, I never had a majority in the state House, not, not even a one-vote majority. But for the last several years, we've had these big super majorities, and it's going to be very, very hard. But the Democrats are going to try hard. They got a lot of money, uh, and this year there are only three governor's races. And so I, I'm sure that's what James is thinking about. And uh, But I, you don't I, see I think it. he's just a little optimistic. All right. Uh, so, so you feel as though re- I think the talent on the Republican side is pretty strong. Can you compare it to anything you've seen lately? Am I overstating that? You're talking about in Mississippi or national? No, oh, national. Yeah, we we're we are further along than the Democrats on generational change in terms of our candidates. Uh, we are seeing an expansion of the Republican vote among population groups that have been very heavily Democratic in the past, Hispanics, Asian Americans, African Americans. You know, uh, when I got elected the first time governor of Mississippi, I got 6% of the black vote. When I got elected four years later and got reelected, I got 26%. And we're seeing people like DeSantis, uh, people like Abbott, uh, who are moving up their numbers among voters who historically had have been uh, have have been safe Democrat voters. Very good point. And I just think that Joe Biden has shown over the last two years, whatever you think, that he's too old to do this. Are you surprised Democrats don't agree with me? Well, in fact, a lot of Democrats do agree with you. When you look at the polling, there is an unbelievably large percentage of Democrat voters who say they don't think Biden should run again. But they don't that's have a thing, replacement. I, There's nobody going to challenge you. Uh, Governor Barber, just, just, no one, it just astounds me no one's going to challenge him. No one wants to be that Ted Kennedy, I guess, or the Bernie Sanders. I don't get it. But, uh, Governor, well, thanks so much for your insight. The former chairman of the RGA and RNC offered an insight early on with Trump winning five polls. It's still very early, but very intriguing. Haley, thanks so much. All right, Brian. Thank you. All thank right. You. Back in a moment. Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We are back, uh, back to finish things up. Just keep in mind, 48 hours away, you can watch One Nation, 8 o'clock, Saturday night, Fox News Channel. Which makes me think, I think you need to know more. More to know. How brains stay young. As we get older, we have some control of how quickly our brains age. In an analysis published in Nature, scientists study brain scans of all ages from 16 months to 100 years and learn more about what happens to our brains. 50-year-olds who are highly social and regularly exercising, traveling, or volunteering might have a younger brain than a 50-year-old who's isolated. Does that surprise you? No, it doesn't at all, right? The more you you know, engage the less, you know, old you might seem. You right. can still answer things quickly. Yeah, you don't want to be sitting around thinking too much. Next, SpaceX launched four crew members into the International Space Station earlier today, a mission that affirmed the company's status as one of NASA's most uh, prolific and vital partners. Why it matters? That's all about Elon Musk. This, uh, whole, this is going to be uh, the first person from the Arab world going up for an extended say. Dozens of spectators from the UAE watched. Uh, as they lifted off at Cape Canaveral. Uh, that's pretty good news, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, SpaceX is always doing incredible things, of which Eric would say more about if he didn't have to worry about getting us to break on time. <laughs> Tesla, speaking of Musk, will cut costs of the next generation of cars in half. Tesla says it will cut the cost. That'll be good. Maybe I can afford it. Musk and other executives outlined the goals during a three-and-a-half-hour investor day presentation in Austin, Texas. That's where the headquarters is, where it is. They might be shifting a lot of his production over to Mexico. Next, uh, it looks like Hoda's absence from today's from the Today Show uh, is a family-related matter. Some people thought there was some controversy there. Let's just hope it gets better. We know that Jenna Bush is around. She usually hosts with her. Savannah Guthrie is uh, uh, had COVID. So the Today Show not looking like the Today Show. Matt Lauer can't come back, right? I mean, that would certainly be newsy if he showed up there right. one day to fill in. We know he's good at the job, but he had other True. issues. A little bit. Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.